Hello everyone, and welcome to your Uncle's Beach House, episode 41. I'm Jackson, I'm joined by M as usual. Anime Janai! Anime Janai, and we are joined once again by our good friend Casey. Hello everybody! Hello! Welcome back. Glad to be here talking about Gamera. Are you spoiling yeah. it? As oh, if the no. title and the art did not give it away. <laughs> We're here to talk I, about Gamera. I, de- I demand the listeners boot up the podcast without looking at the title of it or the, the art and just pit play and uh, like be surprised. When You're going to have to now record a spoiler tag at the beginning. Like Skip ahead to 143 <laughs> if you don't want to hear. To be fair, I listen to a lot of podcasts because like, I just like press play on the yeah, order. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So that just comes to me. Um, there are, that has happened to me before. Where I haven't known what it's about when I press play. Yeah, no, me too. I know. Um, I, I'm always surprised at how many people are always checking the description like first. I'm like, no, don't do that. I just, listen, I just press play. I'm, I only look I'm at the description the if I need clarification. I'm like, oh, did they put this thing they're talking about in the notes? No, damn. Please put, <laughs> no. <laughs> please put the things that you say you're going to put in the notes in the notes. That's all I ask. I think we do that a good 60% of the time these days. As someone who edits abnormal mapping, I do that all the goddamn time. Thank you. Okay, That's well, half the reason I edit abnormal mapping is to put the it, things in the description. When it doesn't happen, it's usually me. Um, well, I never really? said which Gamera we were going to talk about, so there's still room. Oh, we're going to watch Gamera the Brave today. <laughs> Non-canon. Uh, no, we are here to watch Gamera 3, uh, The Revenge of Iris. Uh, the conclusion to the uh, 90s Gamera trilogy. That's that's what we're here to do. We're here to watch it. We watched it last week, and it's uh, been a week because there's been production issues on this episode, uh, by which I mean we've all been struggling in our own lives. And now we're here. Mm-hmm. Uh, movie came out in 1999, uh, directed once again um, by Shusuke Kaneko. Uh, written by Kazunori Ito and Shisuke Kaneko. I don't know what the like, you know, distribution of writing is between them, but it's the same. Basically, very similar creative team. Music still Koatani. Uh, it is the third of these movies. And where do we want to begin? Should we summarize it? Sure, I can do that. Uh, so, Gamera defeated Legion you know, whatever, used the power of everyone's belief in him to do that, and, uh, you know, flew off, fucked off, and now the world is once again being uh, terrorized by Gauss, um, the flying monsters from the first movie, but now there's, like, just a fuck ton of them. There's just so many Gauss. Um, and everyone's kind of spread out, and they're doing their thing, and they're investigating stuff. Like, they found they find a graveyard of Gamera fossils in the bottom of the ocean. Like, what's that about? It's not really addressed in the movie. <laughs> Some things are just evocative. Um, there's a bunch of, there's like two shadowy, these are the most like 70s toku motherfuckers in the world. This, this spooky lady who seems like an alien and the weird science guy. They're uh-huh. just like the epitome of like common Rider mid-series villains or like every 70s. When you're not watching Godzilla, if you go and watch the ones that are just about space aliens, they all act like this. Um, it's just what these uh it's like a very stock archetype i loved seeing it here anyway they're here and they're trying to figure this stuff out and they have a very like negative opinion of the energy field that gamera generated and what's going on um which is expressed through the ideas presented on a dreamcast disc which is the most important part of this movie is they put at some point they put in a dreamcast disc and talk about mana theory about how everything has an energy and the psychic energy of all these things helps contribute to gamera and it's why gamera like protects the earth meanwhile <laughs> in the sticks there is a girl uh her name is uh ayana and she her parents were killed by gamera in the first movie uh because gamera just stomped through her building and she's got a real chip on her shoulder about the idea that gamera killed her parents fair enough um she now she's like living in with this she's living with the grave of the fireflies family who is just like i can't believe you aren't so like uh you know thankful for us taking you in and feeding and clothing you and she's like this sucks uh and she finds an egg that her uh not quite boyfriend at school his family has been protecting for generations because he's living in tenshi muyo but live action he is literally tenshi muyo he's like ah tenshi muyo is gonna deal with like this girl this sad girl well she is there and like messes with it and it hatches and immediately psychically bonds to her and this thing uh it's implied that it's like a like a genetic variation of gauss maybe but it's like a it's a cool little snail that the psychically bonds with her and takes her hatred of Gamera and morphs into a giant 
super being. It's just like a Bahamut with tentacles. It's fucking sick. And it's going to go and fight Gamera. And that's what happens. There's a huge fuck off fight for the back half of the movie. Um, she's got like a, an evil pendant, just like the, the other girl had like a good pendant in the, the second, first and second movie, right? First movie also. It's been a minute. Yeah, the um, Magatamas are in yes. all of these. Yeah, um, and uh, it's it's winning for a while until and then absorbs her until Gamera pulls her out of the thing, and she realizes that Iris has only been attacking because of her hatred, and uh, Gamera saved her and defeats the monster, and uh, like, well, damn, Gamera maybe is a good guy because everyone's very confused because Gamera is very violent in this movie, um, and then all the gals that have been like brewing for the entire film show up on mass to attack Japan, and the Japan Defense Force and Gamera all go, we need to work together, and Gamera roars over the burning city as the title, Gamera uh, Infinite what is it, Ultimate Guardian of the Universe? The lands? Absolute Guardian <laughs> yeah, of the Universe. Guardian of the Universe. That's uh, incredible. And uh, the movie ends. That's it. That's the movie. That's it. Yeah, don't get to see that fight. They, they did it. They, they did, did it. it. Yeah, uh, also, uh, Gamera 1999, specifically. Yes, yes, um, yes. And as we talk about this film, this is really important to remember the year it comes out is 99, uh, specifically because Shinji Higuchi in retrospect, uh, the special effects coordinator for this, for the trilogy, uh, future direct co-director of Shin Godzilla and all that said that the year 2000 was on everyone in production's minds. And that's part of why this movie is more apocalyptic than usual. No one really knew what the turn of the millennium was going to be. And there was still that sort of superstitious belief that it I might mean, bring was, about I disaster. Con- I was convinced that Y2K was going to happen and everything was going to shut down. I was a very scared 15 year old, 14 year old, I guess. Oh um, yeah. I think my equivalent of this is when they turned the large hydron collider on. <laughs> Oh yeah, by then I didn't care. Young. I was like, man, if yeah. the Earth vaporizes, thank God. <laughs> um, but the, yeah, the Y2K stuff is like, yeah, it's more substantial, right? Because that was like a real thing. It was Not a real the thing, and, it was and the, sensationalized. Yeah, it's weird because it became it became a joke immediately afterward because nothing happened, but nothing happened because everyone went out of their way to prevent things from happening. Things would have yes. happened. <laughs> Yeah, like all the computer systems would have failed, yes. at least a lot of them, right? Like they had yeah. to reprogram everything and move everything over to new versions ahead of time. Yeah. If there was a new white, there will be, right? Because I think it's the 2070 uh, when because everything starts counting from 1972. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a point where that clock breaks. Yeah, um, I know over the hundred years after, I heard like a certain number of seconds uh, that people are going to get fucked up over. And it's become even more of a institutional nightmare. Uh, but I guess we we managed to get through Y two K. When everything works as planned, yeah. When every when everything works as planned, we get to laugh about it later. But it's only with catastrophic failures that we really reflect. So yep. I I think that's a good way uh, segue into uh, the start of this movie though because it it really opens on that very spectacular destruction of an entire city. Uh, Kind of like uh, the Legion attack in the last movie, but on a much larger scale. Yeah, the thing that struck me about this movie, like the first half hour or so, is just like really going for a sort of grim, and not like grim dark but a grim realization of the people on the ground during kaiju attacks are just fucked like it's just bad and it's instant how bad it is and it's like a lo- like you see the bit where is it is it gamera that falls from the sky or one of the gauss but there's just uh, like one of the gauss. it's like an asteroid falling to earth there's nothing you can do you see it and you know it's happening and you just have to stand there and get vaporized yep yeah it's it's uh kaiju as pure natural disasters which is mm-hmm. a theme that both Kaneko and Higuchi are going to kind of ride for the rest of their careers in this industry. Yeah. Uh, that stuff's really good. I thought it was really affecting. Gamera is definitely like a more nebulous, like they've, every movie's ended with, what if Gamera just decides that humans are the problem with the earth and wipes us all out? And this movie definitely operates from the place where Gamera is a more like to humanity a morally neutral actor like Gamera will fight the Gauss but that doesn't mean that Gamera is like protecting people necessarily mm-hmm. especially like as you know we get into the stuff with uh uh, uh what's her face uh why can I never Ayana's like family getting destroyed uh in the aftermath of the first movie like let's rewrite this and like no Gamera's just stomp at their buildings and those buildings were not empty there were people in there mm-hmm. Uh, that stuff's just really good because, like, she's hanging out at the school, and like the kids are like, "Gamera is a friend to all children." She's like, "No, Gamera killed my parents. Shut the fuck up." 
yeah, he's a he's a friend to some children. Uh, <laughs> yes. G- Gamera solves trolley problems all the time by saving one kid <laughs> and killing a hundred other people. Yes. Um, I, one of the things that really motivates uh, these early scenes and a lot of the movie uh, is that the team in this movie really wanted to focus more on um, positioning the camera as if it is from the perspective of people on the ground. Mm-hmm. Um it's something that Higuchi talks about in one of the extras where when they were going back and looking at the first movie in the trilogy, they sometimes felt like the camera movements were a little unmotivated. Like they would kind of place the camera where whatever was, it was convenient for the shot. And in this movie, they really wanted to focus on the scale and enormity of the kaiju. So there's lots of effort to like show a person and then cut from that person to their perspective, looking up at what's going on or at a distance from what's going on. They wanted a more ground level feel just so that uh, Gamera and Iris and all the other kaiju were much more intimidating to look at this time around. Yeah, yeah. There's loads of like split effect shots, right? Where they've like shot the city and then like done a green screen or like you know green screen's the wrong word, but they've like you know drawn around all the skyscrapers in the air, cut out the sky, and then replaced the sky with the, the asteroid falling. Um, and they like splice these shots together in a really cool way. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that stuff is like good because it's not just like a big CG effect that you might get in like a modern version or specifically any of the like Western kaiju films, right? Because like Godzilla's a year before this, and that's all doing like Jurassic Park huge effects. Uh, yeah, yes. I actually I actually have a quote from uh, Shusuke Kaneko I'd, I'd like to read real quick, uh, which ties into this, because in some ways, this movie is a reaction to the Hollywood 98 Godzilla. Yes, um, absolutely. So, so uh, the quote, and it definitely applies to this film and its natural disaster uh, kaiju approach, is, I've always felt a little strange about America's approach to kaiju. American kaiju films almost always focus on the weapons that work. In the U.S. Godzilla, if he is shot, he dies, so the monster is always running to avoid being hit. To the Japanese, the image of the kaiju is that of a natural disaster. I mean, weapons can't work against tornadoes, earthquakes, or atomic bombs. Since weapons don't work on kaiju, the problem has to be solved with diligence and cunning. But in America, it seems people can't believe that their weapons will not work. Americans believe in the power of their weapons more than they believe in the kaiju. So while I agree that the movie does represent that, I think it is interesting. In the, the second movie, there was the whole thing where they're going into the the uh, like the su- sewer system, or sorry, the subway, and they go, oh, we need the military because we're just cops mm-hmm. and we don't have guns. We can't handle this. This movie like opens with like an army in the forest that is just kitted out with fucking guns. Like The normalization of military force as like a reaction to kaiju is like an increasing metric throughout all three of these movies in a way that I think is like really interesting. Like They immediately break out the guns next this time. Yes. Although it, it's also funny that in all three movies, the military can never initially decide whether or not Gamera is on their side, and they will inevitably <laughs> shoot Gamera at least once, no yes. matter how many times Gamera saves the Earth. Yeah. Uh, and specifically, like, that stuff is, like, um, inverted with Osako's whole thing, who, like, started out as, like, a, 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 like the cop, and now he's, a, he's just, like, a, a homeless person living on the street. Like, he's just drinking. Which is good. Yes, his scenes are great. He's just chilling. Uh, the uh, the like office lady comes up to her, him and is like, "Hey, do you want to be part of my creepy plan?" He's like, "No, I'm, I'm trying to chill. I just want to drink. Society <laughs> I, uh, has failed me. I just I'm don't want to see like any this. more gauss. That's all." <laughs> and then gauss like falls on his head, and he's like, "Ah, shit." <laughs> Uh, so yeah, I wanted to talk about that creepy lady real quick, just because I, I did not realize when she was introduced that they were being literal, that she was the government's fortune teller. Yes. Yeah. No, she's, yeah, absolutely. She's like the weird intersection of like, we've got, we've got, if there's monsters, we might as well like get a psychic. Yeah. I thought she was just like a data analyst or something. No, she is a psychic that they just hire to do things. And, like, when they cut to news footage, which they do occasionally in this movie, it is, like, written in a very um, deliberate way to... It doesn't sound like, you know, the first round of news footage that you get in most uh, disaster movies. This is very consciously trying to say, what would it be like in a world where Gamera has happened twice? And this is constantly going on, and everyone's talking about it, everyone knows about it, and everyone's discussing it. And it's been, like, normalized uh, in a way that is like, yeah, of course they just hire a psychic. Why wouldn't they? Mm-hmm. <laughs> It'd be stupid not to. And actually, that's an explicit reason that the uh, creative team gives in this movie for why they upped the scale of 
like how disastrous everything is, is because in a world where kaiju are normalized in this way, it's not as impressive just to have them show up anymore. You have to escalate uh, the destructive scale of everything to still get that wow factor. Yeah. You also get the thing where she's like, I will be able to, uh, you know, utilize Iris. It was meant to be me. I have the bloodline of the ancient, like the precursor race that controls the monsters. <laughs> Does oh, not yeah. really work. Yeah, there's a lot more of the Atlantean origins of uh, <laughs> Gamera in this one. And I, I believe we are to understand uh, that the the all of the skeletons of the Gamera underwater were like beta tested prototypes that led mm -hmm. to the one we have. Uh, yeah, no, that's my uh, that's my old console closet right there at the bottom of the ocean. Uh -huh. Now I've got a Dreamcast. Everything's fine. The last of Dreamcast is here. <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. Sonic Adventures come out. It's great. <laughs> So the Dreamcast scene uh, is amazing. It's incredible. They just get the software like, oh, we'll load it up and we'll go through it. The thing is, that software is indistinguishable from some of the like more interesting like experimental games of the era. Like I'm like, oh, this is this is just like adjacent to Seaman. This is not that weird on the spectrum of Dreamcast games that people remember. I I do love that the film posits though that like at this stage games can be anything. We can use yes. them just to analyze disaster data. This is the future of gaming. Yep. The Dreamcast will just read burned discs also, because it's very easy to pirate Dreamcast games, because they built that console not realizing that everyone would have a C uh, CD writer in their uh, house very soon. Uh, oh, so I love yes. that. I love them just sitting down, uh, plugging in this Dreamcast and doing like Earth simulations. Like they're just playing Sim Earth to see what'll happen. Uh, it's great. It's fantastic. What an artifact of an era. <laughs> and there's like a whole plot line where like the developer of this game has mysteriously disappeared and we can't find him because he's one of the he's he's the like the creepy, creepy guy, guy yes. the creepy guy with the creepy girl and um she's i oh got the, the scene where she's introduced and they're like she, they go into the back room and they're like looking at all the broken magatamas and like they light her face through blinds but in a really like artificial way where her it's just her eyes she's got like light on her eyes and she's like when heaven uh, and earth are out of balance disaster will follow like directly like quoting confucius but as like an actual apocalyptic thing and not like lessons about how to be a good government official um, it's amazing <laughs> That, that's actually a, a running thing in this whole movie, whereas the last movie was very sci-fi, and this movie is very supernatural. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, you have, the, you have the family whose bloodline has been protecting the iris egg all this time. You have explicit comparisons drawn between Gamera and Iris being uh, the opposing uh, sides, uh, north and south, on the four guardian beasts of Kyoto. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. So and and yeah. There's just a lot more of an attempt to make this uh, more within the realm of supernatural horror. Like I, I've seen uh, quite a few people write about Iris being more eldritch, and I don't know that that's the case outside of like just having tentacles. Um, but it is certainly a more frightening character uh, than you know perhaps the Gauss were initially presented. Mm. I guess like, I don't know what eldritch mean like i know i know what it means as a word but i don't know like what cultural connotations are being invoked by saying it specifically eldritch like do you mean yeah. like a really lovecraftian which i don't think it is yeah I feel I like it is yeah, weirder and unknowable the, the part where the part where it's got tentacles and the part where it is about like ancient gods i feel like is like a projection of like i don't think the movie's going for i could see how a no. western audience being like this is the yes, thing it's closest exactly. to um but my thing, I was watching this, I'm like, that thing's that thing's Valfor from Final Fantasy X. That's just the that's just Valfor. They just stole this design for Final Fantasy X. Uh they really did. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a I mean, I guess we can get into Iris itself because it is a it's a really impressive design. Yes. Uh you know, it's it's supposed to be a chimera of I guess all of the things it's absorbing and also like it's it's some other form of Gauss, but like when you see it and it's this it's this small creature uh that is just all tentacles and a cute little head mm -hmm. um and also there if you if you watch the blu-rays that arrow put out there is some amazing footage of uh i maeda who plays the uh the girl who is connected to it also uh, i maeda later goes on to be the voice of kino and kino's journey that's really her main 
I oh. guess, notable role in the West. Um, nice. But uh, there's there's lots of footage of her interacting with a hand puppet of the head. That's <laughs> like, amazing. So, fantastic. So, they, so they show the puppeteer operating and like they'll show like all of the little things that like the head is real and then the rest will be CGI'd when the parts where it's like flying around. I mean, the the the, pup, the puppet's really good. The the, uh, the suit's great. Uh, the work, the, like visual effect works across all of these is fantastic. Um, you can like feel uh, CG starting to encroach on mm-hmm. the way the like design of the movies works in a way that is, I think, really interesting. And good for this movie. Uh, if they had like made a fourth one in two thousand two, uh, like I feel like the whole thing might have collapsed. So while I like the small, like the snail uh, iris, and I really like the big one when it becomes a suit, I think the like CG stuff is like maybe to me the weakest part of the movie, the mid period, we're just kind of flying around. I just didn't vibe with it. That's not what I'm looking for out of this era of movie. And I think you're right. It'd be much worse if it was 2002. But like, I feel like the beginning and end of this movie is much stronger in terms of like a kaiju action film than the middle part where I think the CG just is too much. I mean, there's barely any kaiju action like the kaiju action is the tokyo attack and then uh the kyoto stuff and the, with the train station yeah and, and the kyoto stuff the is specifically character driven it's not like a cool fight in the same way yeah there's not really a like action climax i mean it, there is it happens after the credits like <laughs> he's gonna go fight all those gals so you don't get to see that um also about iris uh apparently uh this is from a uh Heisei Gamera Perfection book, uh, well, like one of the hobby books, but uh, Iris is based on this Magic the Gathering card I'm sending called The Blinking Spirit. Oh, I can totally oh, see that. Wow, yeah, I see that. Oh, yeah. That, that's most evident in that shot where it flies in front of the moon. Yes. Uh, well, yeah. one of the, I, I know that I, I, that's, and I, I completely understand the, uh, you know, how, how the 1999 early days of CGI in Japanese cinema stuff has kind of aged. I, I've seen one justification, which is that they kind of realized once they had assembled this really impressive looking Iris costume, uh, that, it was a lot heavier than they thought it was going to be. Yeah, I bet. <laughs> and so they wanted to do some CGI because their initial image of it was sort of this this graceful, stealthy thing. And so they realized, like, okay, we're going to have to figure out another way to show it moving around. Otherwise, it's just going to look too heavy and lumbering, especially in, like, wide shots. So they, I think they, they, they attempted on their $11 million budget to do the most impressive stuff they could with the technology they had at the time. And... Perhaps it hasn't, uh, you know, aged as gracefully as some of the suit work, but there, there definitely was an attempt made, at least, to just give the impression that it is a, it is a fast-moving thing when uh, the realities of putting, you know, over sixty pounds of costume on somebody uh, is uh, doesn't quite work that way. Yeah, for me, this movie is generally like it's approach to action being like more CG heavy, but also like going for something darker to me almost presages the next decade of like Japanese gore cinema in a mm. way that I found really interesting. Like you, you, I looked at this and I was like, I see where like Ichi the Killer comes from out of a movie like this. And that goes all the way down to like Machine Gun Girl and like absolute trash that like littered DVD bins. Uh, if you're into like schlock cinema and like the late aughts, um, I watched a bunch of it. It's all fucking terrible. Um, but like I look at that, I'm like, I see the direct line of like how this stuff gets made out of what we can do with special effects to augment our practical effects to make something that's like more like not not cartoony but like more ludicrous in its presentation in a way that's like really interesting to me just seeing it like come out of a movie like this because i I, don't feel that way about uh legion in the same way i think you're onto something there because uh daie as a studio does not last too many more years after this movie um they get absorbed by katakawa and become a different studio uh, around the mid 2000s and after this movie if you kind of look at daie's output it is pr- like the things they are known for from here are primarily takashi miike movies yeah okay that makes total sense to me <laughs> yeah oh yeah it's like that and it's pulse uh, Pulse is really good. <laughs> let's yes. not let's not let's not uh, let Pulse go without mentioning. No, Pulse no, I, I, I was like Pulse, the one everyone mentions all the time. Yeah, mm-hmm. I could Excellent never movie. watch, but I've seen seen bits of it. I'm just too much of a baby. Yeah, <laughs> that one uh, is genuinely scary. Like I, I don't know if re- you're... it's like a really good. Yeah, it's really scary. It's a good movie. If you can't handle horror movies, I don't think I'd recommend that one to you. No, <laughs> no, I've, I've like read a summary. I've seen clips. It's, uh, <laughs> it's as close as I can get to touching. <laughs> you know. Uh, 
Uh, yeah, I mean, the thing for me with the effects is I'm very... I, I love this era of um, these kind of movies uh, where, like, the opening title card is, like, six different CG flame effects and three <laughs> titles and, like, lens flare. And I'm like, this is great. This is, like, leading directly up to when Battle Royale begins with a giant CG BR spinning six times for no yes. reason. <laughs> like, we've got computers. Let's go. <laughs> Yeah, no, that's fair. You're not wrong. I, like, all this stuff is definitely, like, of a moment. It's just interesting to see it uh, here, like, in its, like, nascent form as, like, the third movie of a trilogy, where the other two movies were not this thing. Like, I feel like this is a tonal shift, and all three movies are, like, relatively different in ways that are really interesting. Like, they did not make the same movie three times, when they uh, very easily could. Kazunori Ito and uh, Shusuke Kaneko refer to the first movie as a compromise with Daie, where it's like, we... <laughs> We're like they they've kind of said that the third movie is a little more the direction they'd wanted to go all along, but mm-hmm. they would meet halfway into like what the cultural expectation of Gamera is versus where they wanted it to go. Yeah, that makes sense to me. The 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 first movie does have way more like hero to children stuff. Yeah. Um. In a in a way that this is this is far more, you know, abstract uh, natural disaster. Sometimes it hits Tokyo, kills twenty million people. Yeah, like, it has a lot of the framework of a horror movie. It just isn't a movie about scaring you, necessarily. Like, it's really interesting in that way. The other thing about the way the movie looks, and, like, this movie's really cheap. I didn't realize how cheap it was, because, like, that's what you're doing when you're, like, dealing with, like, national blockbusters, right? That aren't Hollywood. Yeah. When you go through national cinemas. But I don't, like, the CG, you can tell, and you can tell with a lot of national cinema that isn't Hollywood, right? Like, that they are. I mean, it's still twice the budget of the first movie, or the second movie. My point isn't about the the movies internally. The point is that, like when it's not the specific of the CG effects, which um, you can tell are cheaper than certain effects for like Hollywood at the time. The actual movie looks fucking incredible. Yeah. This is an amazing looking movie. It does not look a fifteen million dollar movie or whatever it was shot in America would never look like this in nineteen ninety nine. Not in a million years. <laughs> um, and this is just like a fantastic looking movie. They are able to like you know there, there's. Uh, I don't know how many sets there are, um, but it feels like they're shooting on location a lot, especially for the uh, uh, like stuff in the um, like rural town. Right. Uh, specifically, the thing that's really impressive to me is the the final act, like the final scenes of the movie, take place in a enormous train station with like an overarching ceiling that the kaiju are in, and the humans are both interacting with it as it collapses around them, which is like two radically different scales that have to be composited together. And like, you have to match the miniatures to the like debris that the humans are dodging. And it just all works really seamlessly. Like that stuff's incredibly well done. That's That's a, that's a one twentieth scale recreation of the Kyoto train station. Oh, incredible. It it is the largest, uh, miniature die ever built for a film. Yeah, I bet because it's huge, and there's like amazing showy off shots where they're like pan from the kaiju to the building, but then the building they've composited in like an actual shot of them running through one of the um like the 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 tunnels from one mm-hmm. side of the train station to the other, and but it's a glass tunnel, so you can see them inside it, and it's like wow, they've re- this is like a really thought out final set piece in a very different style to the other movies, which all had far more like traditional. Uh, you know, Gamera fights the other kaiju endings. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is all focused on like the human scale action in relation to the kaiju's fighting behind them. Yeah, they yeah. they had remarked upon too. Uh, some people had sort of asked them later, like, why was that final battle between Gamera and Iris in that enclosed location? And they just said like they tried the wide versions and it wasn't really working for them. They felt the emotionality of the fight would be much clearer if you could just zoom in on the human drama and them in this small space uh and it would just look more impressive overall for what they were trying to achieve in this movie Mm -hmm. Uh, just on the topic of uh how impressive things look oh my god the the kyoto city set in the monsoon (laughs) is incredible looking it and there's that amazing amazing uh shot like the transitions talking about the cg flames and things of the the gamma profile going into the iris profile with like a flame wipe into the ayana profile as she's drenched in the monsoon rain glaring at gamma uh it 
it's so anime and it works wonderfully. Yes, that's, the, that's the digital effects I think are really strong. Like that's a thing that you wouldn't do outside of an era where you could just really mess with that stuff. Um, also, anytime you're willing to just put rain around like scale models, I am always impressed because it's incredibly hard to do. Water does not scale. Um, you have to really work to sell it. Mm-hmm. Uh, also, they they deliberately in the rain scenes tried to avoid Gamera being shown uh, front on because Higuchi said that they realized that uh, if they did, that they held that shot for too long, like the water would pull up in Gamera's mouth and pour out. And it would look like he was just drooling on both sides. So they yeah, said he looked that. much more fearsome in profile, which is why there's yeah. so many side shots. Uh, yes. <laughs> It's funny because Gamera is a character that, like, I feel like is hard to do menacingly. Like, you know, he's a big turtle that spins through the sky. Uh, but they do manage well with the, the reframing and, like, this the attitude that they give him in this movie to definitely sell it as, like, a more convincing, like, not menace, but nebulous actor in the world. Mm-hmm. There are, like, bodies being thrown about in the uh, Tokyo attack. Yeah. Um you know, just an impact will land and like 20 people just go flying. Uh, it's pretty good. It's pretty sick. A scene that really caught me by surprise the first time I watched this movie was uh, one of the earlier scenes where Iris gets out and starts absorbing human bodies and kills Ayana's fast foster family. And th- for whatever reason, Iris has laid out the body of the, of like the foster brother, but it laid it out in a way that like it, do- he does the swing down thing that like michael myers and jason Voorhees victims do yes <laughs> and it's just this like green drained body it's it's really dreadful looking uh in a way that i wasn't really expecting from this kind of movie iris is exacting her revenge but by setting up weird uh haunted house traps for her to discover in the <laughs> well there's even that one scene where like it cuts the two characters we've never seen before who are the most like horror movie stock characters going to like fuck in the woods <laughs> yes oh they literally frame this like a fr- i was well, i was watching the destiny i was like oh this is this is like where jason Voorhees shows up like the way she like is like walking back in the woods like ah come on we're gonna fuck around is just the like cha 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 right yeah but then like the, the pov shot where um he actually gets killed is like a weird spinning shot like it goes on for ages it's very funny it's very goofy uh i feel like they lean into a lot of the like silliness of this like weird serial killer iris plot for the middle of it yeah yeah they're they're just swinging in every direction they can with this one because they know it's the end uh that sounds really good because you get this you get this creature that clearly is like menacing but also you understand why she would just think of it as a pet because it's it's cute it's cute it's a cute little thing and then as it's like evolving and growing bigger it it goes through these stages that are like ethereal and like interestingly like suggestively weird like the mid-period where it's a giant floating tentacle thing feels like an alien it feels like she's engaging with something that is totally out of this world in a way that's like interesting and good Um, Uh, Something I love about the final suit, too, in that same vein, is I I really like that the coloration on it kind of makes it look like a heroic character. And I wonder how much of that is sort of Ayana's interpretation mentally of that she and Iris are the heroes of this situation and they're going to deal with Gamera. Because it's got kind of like this Ultraman Sentai hero coloration. And it's wearing a mask that kind of has the Ultraman colors. Yeah. And I'm wondering how much of that was, like, just a visual intent of, like, you know, it's sort of hiding its more wicked intentions from Ayana, at least. Because it has, it has, like, to me, it's like, yeah, like, it's it's definitely got the Ultraman thing. It, like, evokes, like, Bahamut or whatever, like, Final Fantasy VII's that are always, like, like, generally a good thing in the games they're represented in. But it also has, like, those corpse lights that feel dangerous because it, like, evokes, like, undersea creatures. And, uh, like, there's nothing good about a thing with lights on its body. That That's always a bad sign. Uh, but the, the combination is just, like, good and unsettling. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, no, this is this is just a just a good. I was really um, surprised at the wrong. Way. I was very delighted by how different all three of these movies were, despite being the same movies with the same theme and the same cast and the same soundtrack. And so, like, there's so many similarities, and they're not like thematically that different in what they're saying. They are, you know, uh, the planet is bigger than us. Humans are as bad as they are good, and we must, you know, our survival hangs on the ability to work together. Uh, and uh, 
not kill each other. Uh, very basic, like, stuff. But the way that they all approach the, like, genre of it has been really different. Like, the the, the second movie, it's probably my favourite, but not because I think it's necessarily better, but because this is the kind of cliche person I am. I love the, like, this movie barely has a protagonist. It is about the, like, infrastructural... Uh, response to disaster and the build-up of the, that, that's like the disaster movie genre stuff that it like is uh like catnip to me but in this movie is far more all about the like individual people involved with it they like supernatural bonds uh the uh, monsters represent both like abstract uh like forces in the world but also literal emotional forces in the characters that we see on screen um and it, i'm just very impressed with how many different ways formally the trilogy found to express its ideas despite being such a like a similar thing and of a piece right they're all mm-hmm. they're very similar movies but they are all very different in in, in very important ways mm-hmm. yeah uh and uh, just to comment too uh the uh, the production team, many of the people in the production team sort of remark, uh, because we talked earlier about kind of the state of the film industry in the post-2000s, most of them viewed this movie uh, and this trilogy as perhaps their last chance to do uh, the kaiju film in a traditional way. They really didn't know where special effects were going to go. They didn't know where the industry was going to move. So they kind of see this movie as like a last hurrah. And I think that's what uh, gives us that spectacular Kyoto set piece to end everything is mm-hmm. just, you know, you they, they could not even imagine then what the industry was going to be like and what their place in it was going to be anymore after this was done. Here's my question. Maybe you can answer this because I haven't seen it. How is Godzilla, Mothra, and King Ghidorah giant monsters all out attack? Is it like this? Um, gosh, it has, I have not seen that movie since it came out. Okay. Uh, but I, I would say from my memory of it that it, it certainly has some very similar preoccupations. Yeah, because it's Kaneko and like Koatani's doing the score, and it's two years later. Like, I'm just really curious how that is as a thing. Yeah, the main thing I like, I, as I said on the uh, Legion episode, the main thing I remember about that one was the implication that not only was Godzilla an atomic monstrosity, but also an embodiment of uh, the various war crimes Japan committed and denied at the time. I need to watch this. It sounds it sounds sick. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it, it also does have the same sort of guardian beast theme, too. I mean, mm. like all of these creatures are, uh, you know, part of part of a process to sort of try to. Uh, balance out the world. So yeah, I th- I think that there's it's a pretty smooth transition between these. But you know, I my memory of the Gamera movies was they're a bit more spectacular. Uh, but mm-hmm. I do remember watching GMK at the time uh, and sort of feeling like it was kind of a return to the more ominous, uh, less friendly to us Godzilla. So more of a disaster film in that way. That uh, again, Higuchi also picks up for Shin Godzilla later. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I I would love to watch GMK again. It's just not a thing I have done yet. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I'm sure it'll be pretty good. Um I need I need to watch more myself. I've I've like I've seen like the original Godzilla, these movies and then uh, Shin Godzilla, but I think that's most of my Kaiju experience uh outside of more general Toku watching, right? Like um but I haven't watched that many uh Godzilla movies. I guess I watched all the terrible uh <laughs> Um, whatever the whatever studio did them, I forget. Lionsgate was it? What? The the recent ones. Godzilla King of the Monsters. Legendary. Lion. I get Lionsgate and Legendary confused. <laughs> they have the similar names to me, even though they're very different studios. But I definitely need to watch more of the uh, uh older kaiju films because I enjoy them when I watch them. It's a genre I clearly enjoy. Do we have anything uh, else to say? No, I mean, I would recommend going back and watching stuff and, like, watch outside of, like, Godzilla. Like, you know, you get the, the... Because the Criterion set is so ubiquitous now, everyone's like, oh, you know, you watch the Godzilla movies. But, like, watching watching the Mysterians is, like, fun. The, the like, stuff that's, like, a little aside from the mainline kaiju stuff is always really interesting and weird. Um mm-hmm. You know, watch the one about Frankenstein, but Frankenstein's a kaiju. Like, you can, you, there's all sorts of weird shit. <laughs> Make Frankenstein kaiju? Yeah. Yeah. Sure, why not? Why yeah. not? I, I think, too, you know, this is a, a thought about 
uh, I think that Gamera's reputation in the West has largely been sort of set, at least among a, an older generation of fans, uh, by its MST3K. constant appearances in MST3K, yes. Yeah. Uh, where, you know, I, I still think those are perfectly fun movies to watch on their own without the MST3K commentary, if you're so inclined. But I, I think if you're on the fence about Gamera as a character, the trilogy uh, from the 90s is a perfect starting place Yeah, uh, to really get invested in this character. These are exceptional kaiju movies and on par with anything Godzilla was doing at the time. I think yep. it's really strange is the wrong word, but definitely interesting that like my when it comes to my kaiju watching because I've watched like, like a few early things, uh, and it's been like mostly like modern stuff. Or I'm counting these these uh, Gamera movies as fairly modern. Yeah. Uh, in the scale of kaiju stuff, I ha- I've never se- I haven't seen any of the '70s stuff. Right, the stuff where it gets goofy, and I know that is like culturally a lot of kaiju's reputation, especially Godzilla's reputation, right? Yes. Um and. That's that's an area I have no context for. I've only seen the part where it's uh, serious monster movies about politics, which I feel like makes me a bit of a cliche, but I didn't do that intentionally. I didn't do that intentionally. What you should do is watch Ultra Q, the best show that's anyone could ever yes. watch. That's what I should do. You've described it to me. I know I'd love it. It sounds absolutely amazing. I guess I'd watch a bit of Ultraman afterwards and go, this isn't as good. Yeah, I've, I've stalled on Ultraman really hard because the original, <laughs> at least the first Ultraman series, does not live up to Ultra Q at all. I just can't. You, you have just to can't. wait. You have to wait. There are mid-episodes. I, I'm sounding like an anime guy right now. But there, <laughs> but there are episodes later in Ultraman 66's run. that, I, And I just watched... The first that series in quarantine um but there are episodes that are now among some of my favorite episodes of television even if i just have to hand you a list and go watch these ones specifically i want you to hand me a list because i would like to move on to ultra uh, ultra seven and maybe come back to this when i'm like more bought in because i'm just not i'm just not feeling it no 66 takes some really interesting big swings later on and there are there are also just some episodes that are very, very gorgeously shot, considering mm. the time and budget they must have had. Uh, yeah. So yeah, no, I'm I'm definitely gonna just send you a recommended list yeah. of episodes. To hit. The problem with them swinging for what, like you know, we're gonna make Ultraman. We're gonna, I mean, it's not like a badly made show. It's just up against Ultra Q, which is on film in black and white and like one of the most gorgeous shows I've ever seen. It's hard to compete. <laughs> and also, it's about like weird investigators coming up against kaiju mysteries every week. Yeah, and not about like a science team that's like for kids it's not a yes. hero show in the same way i don't know it's just like personal taste look just, just you wait Toku until stuff, you hit but. the episode where they all feel guilty about what they've done and hold buddhist funeral rites for the monsters they have fought so far like all right yeah no i'm here for this <laughs> uh, yeah good because my main thing my main problem with ultraman watching i'm like because i watched that and i watched a little bit of uh Zeta, because that was airing for, like at the same time, is Ultraman is a super cop. He goes around and he just like big game hunts monsters that are just trying to live their lives. And the show, as far as I've watched, was never about how Ultraman sucks, like as a function of like people protecting the status quo to me. Okay, so He's a beacon of hope. No, that, that material is in the first series, and I'm like I said, I, I, it's fine. I'm gonna yeah, get you, you the episode. Yeah, and I'll watch them because I got the <laughs> that- Blu-ray. Like I. <laughs> That doesn't surprise me because it's like, you know, I assume it's similar to like robot stuff where everyone's like, you know, in Gundam, it's really subverted the heroic expectations of robots. And you look at like the opening of Mazinger Z and he's standing amongst a burning city. I'm, like, <laughs> yes. I'm, fairly sh- I'm fairly sure this was there the whole time. Yeah. Yeah, they're uh, aware anyway, of what they're making. Uh, sorry, gone- b- before we okay. cut it off, I just want to yeah. say there's there is one scene in this I really love, and that is... Uh, that Gamera gets to do the Evil Dead 2 blow-your-own-hand-off uh, scene. And he does get to do that, yes. And it's then, fucking sick. And then inexplicably makes a fist of fire. Who cares? It's awesome. Don't worry about it. He reabsorbs his own flame projected at him back from Iris, who's absorbed the flame breath. Yeah, a fist. That's true. A fist made of pure mana energy. It's spectacular the explosion after is really great watch the special features where they ask uh shinji higuchi like what were your favorite explosions in the series because he'll (laughs) he gladly rattles them off (laughs) that's a great question so i'm going to ask that of every special effects director i meet which is none but if anyone else is interviewing them please ask that Uh, yeah, no, these, uh, this whole trilogy is great and absolutely worth watching that arrow set. Uh, I mean, I haven't watched Gamera the Brave, but it's worth it for these three movies alone. Um, so yeah, it's good. 
Um, I guess that's it. Uh, next time, we're going to be watching the second half of Scooby-Doo Mr. Inc. That'll be in like a week, because uh, we're recording this, it'll come out Friday, and yeah, we're recording the next one the day after, so yeah, it's like episode 14 to 26 or whatever, so look forward to that. I'm already like halfway through it, so we're going to have a lot to talk about. That show's goofy. I'm excited. I'm excited. I'm yeah. excited. After that, we're watching the first half of Common Rider O's, like the first 28 episodes, so look forward to that. And then there's an anime after that, right, Jackson? Yes, yes, there is. Yes, there is. I've promised this person in the in the DMs not to forget. Okay, yeah, it's, yes, it's that mecha happening. anime. What's it called? Give me a second. You know what? I don't even have to stall. I can edit this out. Is no, I'm editing this. Oh no, you're editing this. Yeah, right. I think it's Grand Belm, but I don't want to commit. <laughs> I th- I think it's Grand Belm. I'm yeah, fairly I think it's sure. Grand anyway, that's what we're doing. Um, oh, do you want to check and put that in and cut all this shit out? I, I'm putting it in. Um, what the Grand Bell? We Grand Bell. I was right. I remember the thing. So that's that's our schedule for the next bit going forward. Um, we have a new SOS coming out, uh, which is like part of Beach House because someone's paying for it. Uh, please check that out on abnormalmapping.com. But plugs time, plugs time, plugs time. Casey, where can people find you? Uh, you can follow me on Twitter uh, at Manovsky article, where among other things, I will probably keep digging up facts about Gamera movies from old magazines and uh, posting them. Uh, also, uh, I recommend that you uh, listen to The Great Gundam Project, which our esteemed hosts are doing right now. You can get it for $1 on Patreon. Uh, and I plug this because they're covering two of my favorite mecha shows, uh, Turn A Gundam and The Big O right now. So... Check that out if you're interested. They're both pretty good. I assume everyone's following you on Twitter. If they don't, they should, because uh, even before we were friends, you were just like an account that gave constantly gave me good things to read and watch. Um, I, I appreciate that. I'm, one of the I'm, realist, like, aste- I guess it's not an aesthetic account necessarily, but the vibes of an aesthetic account with like a real person behind it who is cool. Yeah, I'm I'm just posting whatever I'm interested in at the time and I like have completely killed the content brain in my heart. So um yeah, just come enjoy and vibe with me and we'll both find cool stuff to read together. Yeah. Yeah. Uh Jackson plugs. You can find me at headfullsoff on twitter.com. You can find the a podcast that me and M do at abnormalmapping.com. Go listen to them, there's very good ones over there. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at EM underscore Bing. As Casey said, you can support all the podcasts at patreon.com slash mapping For $5 a month, you get Blockbusters, where me and Jackson once a month talk about a uh, Hollywood film and break it down. We're doing True Lies. That'll be out in probably a week or so. Um, so look forward to that. I'm really excited to revisit that movie. Um, I'm on a new podcast that I don't think I talked about last. Maybe I did. Uh, called Gotham City Limits, which you can find at exportaudio slash bat Batman, where me and my friend Autumn talk about Batman the Animated Series and other Batman media. There's an episode on Batman 89 coming out very soon. Uh, if you are if you subscribe to the Expert Audio Patreon, you already have it, because we already did it. Uh, but check that out. We watch Batman 89. That's a, that's a fucking weird movie, too. Uh, <laughs> but that's everything. We'll be back yeah. in a week. Thank you very, very much uh, for watching this with us, Casey. This, oh, is, this is a great time. My pleasure. I'm always happy to talk about monsters. Yeah. All right. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time uh, with some Scooby-Doo. Goodbye. Bye. Bye. Bye.